Thanks for taking the time to listen to our 3D OrthoPro podcast. If you'd like to get any more information on Piro, 8Soul or Raptor, please visit our website at www.3dorthopro.com or drop us an email at info at 3dorthopro.com. Hey everyone, sure. it's it's Doug from 3D Ortho Pro here. Uh, it's been a little few weeks since we've done a podcast, but I have managed to get uh, Drew Mayer with me here, uh, all the way from Colorado. Uh, and Drew and I met on on LinkedIn really because he's been posting about all his kind of recent projects, uh, which are all super exciting, from uh, custom carbon fiber jobs to hybrid 3D printed with uh, earphones with PDE struts so I just wanted to get him on so we could uh, have a chat about what he's been learning and what he's been doing and uh, and kind of go from there so I guess to start with Drew just give me a little bit of your background so we can kind of get to get to know know who you are where you came from and go from there. Yeah sure thing well I uh, appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to talking about orthotics and prosthetics and the 3D printed world because things are changing fast, man. It's really fun to watch what's going on. But um, <clears throat> my background is uh, I came out of the engineering world. So I started off um, kind of in the mechanical engineering space and I got into like my third year at university and was like, uh, I don't know if I want to go down the mechanical engineering route anymore. And um, I was looking, you know, but I was like, I'm two and a half years into this thing. I can't really back out now. And um, I was looking at the list of electives that I had for that year. And I was looking at all these classes. I was like, this one looks terrible. That looks terrible. You know, advanced thermodynamics. That sounds horrendous. And there was this class on there called uh, Intro to Biomedical Engineering. And I was like, that's the only one that doesn't sound terrible. Let's the try best, that the best out. of a bad bunch. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was a, it was a handful of kind of variables all came together, but I had a really great professor. It was a really interesting subject. Um, it was kind of a new program that my university was launching to start an, uh, uh, a minor program in bioengineering and life sciences. And so I took this one class thinking, oh, this will just be my elective that I'm taking. Then I found out, oh, this is fascinating if you apply engineering principles to biological systems. And so then I, uh, I jumped on and added a minor program in the bioengineering side of things. And, you know, I was getting C's and B's in my normal uh, engineering <laughs> classes, but then I switched, I switched into the bioengineering program and all of a sudden I'm getting, you know, 4.0 straight A's. And it was just because I found it really interesting, you know. Yeah. And some of the it's coolest always, classes always I thing. ever took was, yeah, some of the best classes I took were like biomechanics courses and things that I had never even really known was, um, you know, a, a field of study. And it, it turns out, you know, it's funny, I was, I was reflecting, uh, talking with my wife, kind of prepping with the questions that you had prepared. And, and it was funny looking back on it, you know, to see how, all these jobs that I've had have all, to some extent, had 3D printing woven into them, even though I wouldn't call myself an expert in 3D printing. Who's there? 
My buddy. Hey, buddy. You want to say Come hi? Say hi. How's it going? This is Levi. How's, How's it going, going Levi? Hi. <laughs> good morning. Good morning to you. Did you drop your sister off at school? Yeah. Okay, good job. Hey. I'm going to shut the door. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> He the camera he's got it. Nice work. Yeah, he's, he's got to always say hi. Well, uh, you can leave that in or cut that out. But uh, the uh, <laughs> the uh, you know it's been it's been interesting to see. You know, my first job was actually with a company called Medical Modeling, and so I was a biomedical engineer, and um, that company ended up being acquired by 3D Systems. So a lot of people that I used to work with now are 3D Systems employees, and they started you know, really early on the, the CT scan to 3D model kind of workflow. Yeah. And, you know, back, that was uh, eight years ago, the workflow was a lot more uh, manually labor intensive. There wasn't a lot of automation. There wasn't a lot of really good software. So we were using Freeform um, and materialized mimics and magics to seg segment um, CT data, turn it into volumetric models, digitally manipulate those models, and then 3D print those anatomical models. So that was kind of the original product line for them was 3D printed anatomical models. I actually got a skull up there on the shelf. Uh, that, that, was, that was like part of the original stuff that we did. Um, where's these? Kind of forgot about it. I had this, but uh, it's like a, that looks a pretty robust. Yeah, yeah, and it was stereolithography, so it was all the SLA product line from what, the what, what materials at Princeton. <clears throat> um, you know, gosh, I can't even remember now. It's a, it's one. It seems, um, it seems, it seems robust though. Whatever yeah, this in. one is quite robust. Oh. It was the. I forget. We always called it. We never used the the technical terms. We just called it the white the clear and the color and yeah. this was the uh, white that, product line sometimes that makes it simpler because all the new terms yeah i did learn recently with, yeah uh, with the types of printers and the different materials and uh, yeah it's, it becomes a little bit uh, mind-boggling with all the new terms and uh, like the shorthand versions of every single printer that's going around sure and, uh, you know, that was a really good job. It set me up for a lot of uh, understanding of the 3D printed, 3D design world. But at the end of the day, it was um, really more of a manufacturing job. And um, while, while we were doing patient-specific things, it was all anonymized data sets. And so I never knew the patient, never saw the outcome, never understood any of their treatment plan you know we were just making a device and then shipping it out and make another device and ship it out so on one hand it was really cool to say hey i work in this 3d printed lab and we do these custom medical devices but at the end of the day i was also kind of like i want to work more with patients yeah and um i did two more two more jobs after that where i stayed in the engineering world but worked in medical device design we made i worked for another company called mighty oak medical and they made um the Firefly system, which was like a pedicle screw placement system. And it was, again, it was the same workflow where it was custom CT, anatomical model, 3D printed surgical tool, and um, kind of that same workflow. 
And again, it was kind of cool. I was like, oh yeah, we're doing 3D, we're doing 3D printed, 3D design things. It was spine anatomy now um, instead of craniofacial, which was kind of the first job with uh, medical modeling. Um, but I was helping them get their FDA approval. So it was a more medical device oriented stuff. So, so I guess have you had to have a big lull since you became a uh, CPO that you have had to wait for 3D printing to come into this industry? Is it because you've obviously done it like yeah. you said eight years ago and then it probably feels like it's only taken off here in the last maybe 12 months? Right. And a lot of it is um, it's all the tools, right? Uh, the whole workflow. I've been watching it eagerly waiting for something that was clinically relevant. And, you know, it's been really fun to see all this stuff that's coming down the pipeline. Um, you know, the second and third and fourth wave of these product lines and all the integration with all the different scanners and, you know, using more and more uh, AI tools and things like that. So in a, in a big way, I think um, the, there's, the 3D printed technology has always been there. I mean, there's people yeah. who have done 3D printed OMP devices for 15 years. Mm -hmm. They're just really rare. Yeah. Uh, mainly because a lot of it was the digital design tools weren't there yet. And um, so, yeah, I think in, in some ways I've been waiting, you know, when I got into OMP, like I had to learn the O and P way of doing things and the traditional fab method and get my hand skills up and learn how to yeah. do plaster and pull plastic and all that stuff. And so like, okay, I said, I'm going to devote myself to this. I'm going to learn that I'm a student. You can't change much when you're a student. Yeah. You can't change much as a, as a rookie practitioner. You know, now I have five years under my belt after I went back to OMP school. So I, I, um, I was I was fortunate where I went into the the Baylor College of Medicine program, which was like a newer program for OMP in the states. So I was only the second class to graduate from there, and they were a lot more progressive, maybe in the education style. And so we had like a three D printer on site. Uh, everybody was still trying to figure out how to use it because again, yeah. we didn't have the design software. Yeah, that seems to be the bit in the last months it's just gone absolutely crazy like people are bringing out software right left and center now to try and help with the O&P manufacture yeah um, and even to the point where obviously who, who we work with and invent that they've kind of all tried they're trying to automate it which is uh, scary but pretty cool as well quite a, quite a big task but so far Eatsoul has been pretty successful um, and yeah, they just launched Hero yesterday, so it'll be interesting to see the results coming from that as well. Um, so do you? Um, yeah. Do you do you work for yourself or do you work for MediQuip? Is that how how does it work over there? How do you get the freedom yeah, to do all the so, stuff you do? <laughs> I have a really um, unique role where I don't work for what I would call a, a traditional large. O&P company that employs, um, you know, multiple offices and multiple CPOs. The company that I work for is at its base. It's more of a DME durable medical equipment company. So walkers, crutches, wheelchairs. Oh, and they also do a lot of knee bracing. And so the, the, the community that I live in is up in the mountains out in Vail, Colorado. And there's, um, you know, the U.S. ski team trains up there. And then the story 
you know, starts off way long ago with the ski team, met this one orthopedic surgeon. That was kind of the first uh, team doctor thing, you know, there wasn't team doctors back in the 60s, as I understand. These come around, people start linking up with team physicians. Um, they said, hey, we're training in Vail. Can you move your orthopedic practice closer to us? And then now there's this huge world-class travel clinic called the Stedman Clinic. People come from all over the world to get their hips and knees done, ACL repairs and things like that. High-end athletes, really high-end. And my company has kind of been alongside of them uh, supplying knee braces and um, you know, walkers, crutches, wheelchairs, ice machines, all those things for all these high-level athletes who are going through rehab. Well, understandably, along the way at a really big ortho clinic like that, they would reach out and say, hey, can you guys make this custom O&P device? And they'd say, well, we don't really have that capability on staff. You know, it was mainly just fitters. And um, they've, they've uh, kind of entertained the idea of having a CPO on staff for many years. And so they brought me on board to kind of launch the O&P division for them. And... Um, the, so the beauty of it is I'm the only CPO on staff and I kind of was given free reign to, Hey, here's oh, cool. your practice, however you want to. But this is where the, this is where the 3d printing thing was really an opportunistic thing because I don't have a lab. I don't have a technician. I don't have um, any sort of assistance or anything. I'm, I'm, I'm on my own in the sense of I'm unsupported with, uh, you know, a team of staff members. There's other people in the office who are running around doing uh, DME products and, and uh, fitting off-the-shelf devices and things like that. But by and large, I'm kind of doing my own thing with the custom-made products. Nice. And so I was like, I don't want to spend the money um, and I don't want to do traditional fabrication all by myself. Um, yeah. I could do work. that. That's, right a, that's a lot of work for one person. Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> It's a lot of real estate and like, really it's, it doesn't make sense. And so, you know, one of the things that I love about the digital workflow and 3d printing is um, I can still be a control freak and <clears throat> I can, I can get exactly what I want doing my hand casting and my modifications and my trim lines. And I can say, this is exactly what I want. Yeah. And you, then it's just, just so everybody knows. Everybody knows, like so, so everybody knows. You you do everything from pretty much the cast to the then scanning the cast, and that's the way you go about your process. Then you you do the software part as well, and then you decide who you're going to send that to get it made from. And then when it comes back to you, do you put it together? Like I saw some pictures on your LinkedIn that you um, from the Frankenflow. Uh, <laughs> the yeah. Frank and workflow that, that you almost kind of put it together yourself when it arrived. Um, like the different yeah. parts with the, with the 3D printed top and bottom and uh, then the different PDE spots that you probably tried out as well. So you, because you do, yeah, you cover yeah, all so that. That's one thing, I mean, and so it's interesting how um, a lot of variables go into the decision-making process, right? It's yes. what's right for the patient, um what's going to be covered by insurance what is the time frame that we're working with you know there's a lot of things like that but um 
I have, <laughs> you know, I've started, I haven't fit a, an AFO with like Tamarack joints on it for a, a long time because I've just seen such good success with those PDE style struts. Yeah. And the thing, you know, with the Tamarack, you can take an AFO with Tamaracks and torsionally just pad your way with yeah. it, just twist yeah. it, you know, they're just gummy bears. And for anybody, you know, in my mind, a lot of people that need an AFO, that need a custom AFO, uh, they usually have extensive weakness, not just in the dorsiflexion muscle group, but also in the plantar flexion group. And so giving knee stability, controlling tibial advancement, third rocker, all that stuff, push off, trying to restore some semblance of uh, normal yeah. biomechanics. But you can't do that with the Tamarack. And yeah. that was something, you know, it, it kind of seems like the, the standard was always a solid ankle, a PLS, or um, an articulated. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I would, you know, okay, I can learn these, I can do these, but I'm never satisfied with the outcomes. Um, and so I started really early with the coyote strut and then the coyote strut worked really well but you can only get it in two stiffnesses and it was a lot bulkier now they have their new flat strut kind of mimicking the pde strut but i had a couple of really difficult patients that i fitted with those coyote struts and it worked great because it's plantar flexion and dorsiflexion assist and resist to some extent it's like a double action joint with springs and uh pins yeah. Um, but it's all interchangeable. You know, the PDE system is amazing for that. And what's really interesting is the PDE system pairs very nicely with additive manufacturing because, you know, it's not cost-effective to, to print a solid AFO in a multi-jet machine. It's just so big. You can do it, but, um, I don't have an MJF machine i send it to the guys over at additive america and you know they're charging me for this work and they're basically saying well you know it's not really cost effective for you to you know you could send a cfab solid ankle afo for 200 300 and they're going to be charging a little bit more than that so i go okay well good thing i don't want a solid afo i want um, a shell that's only a couple inches tall yeah. for the interior the and they can all nest really nicely together yeah. So, you know, the anterior shell, the posterior calf cuff, they're only a couple inches big, a couple inches wide. The foot plate, you know, if I'm doing a full length foot plate with a long control tab, those are the biggest ones. But, you know, yeah. you orient those, you know, at a 45 in the build platform and nest yeah. everything under it. They don't take yeah. up a ton of space. And so, um, I think, I think that's you important know, it, to, to say for people that maybe don't know what you're talking about is that. In the in the MGF machines that you have a, a build unit and it's only of a certain size, so the bigger the or AFO or product that you want to print, the more costly it is because it's taking up more space. Um, whereas, like what you're saying, it's just like you're you're asking for three bits that can be nested inside each other almost or fitted in much more neatly, so it becomes cheaper than right. an adult-sized AFO. And um, in there. Sorry, that was just yeah. if anyone and, was listening, they knew where we were going. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and you know, like with the like with the Tamarack AFO, for example, 
um, it's possible to cut away some of the plastic, but you're tied to those ankle joints. And so the plastic has to come down all the way around the malleoli. And um, even if you cut away a lot of stuff, now you've lost a lot of the stiffness of the device. The thing that's awesome about the, the PDE setup um, is you can cut away a, a huge chunk of the middle section of the brace. You know, you have the foot plate and then yeah. you cut away the whole middle section. So there's nothing around the ankle joint for the most part. Um, there's, it's kind of more open airy design, yeah. but I, even with the removal of all that material, it's still torsionally much stiffer because you have that big flat spring on the back. So you can't take those and twist them. Have you had any problems with obviously the PDE strut providing loads of stiffness and then the strength of the additive material above and below it. I mean, obviously below it's probably going to yeah, be the bit that, that has the has the biggest the bigger torsional and forces on it. Right. And I know from my experience, I've had a couple of things break here and there, um, and it's just part of the learning curve for everybody. So sorry about that. That's okay, don't worry. That's the work from home. That's the work from home, home balance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know it that is. life as well. I've taken yeah. the, the excitement of, a, of, the, of the Starbucks coffee shop here. So it's a <laughs> good things going on all over yeah, the place. Yeah, it's good stuff. And so, but, uh, you know, we've had a, we've had a couple, um, you know, actually, now that I think about it, so uh, you're familiar with Brent Wright and yeah. East Point Orthotics and, and uh, yeah. Additive and he, he's been really, really helpful getting me kind of launched off in the right direction. You know, I think when I launched, I just latched onto him and just said, tell me everything, you know? So he took me to a pretty high level pretty quickly, which was really nice. Just kind of skipping over a lot of the learning curve that he had done. And because of that, I haven't really fiddled around with FDM or anything um, kind of in the lower end additive world and just went straight to the MJF stuff because yeah. they had the capabilities they had been playing around with their MGF printer yeah. for a year when I had met him. And so he had already gone through some of the steeper learning curves. And, you know, we had, the only failures we had were ones where we tried to do a monolithic single print AFO with a, with an MJF strut in it. Okay. Yeah. You can't and make the strut strong enough. Yeah, and it was just, it was really more of a fatigue thing and a design thing than anything. I mean, the patient loved them. Yeah. They were lightweight. She walked beautifully. They were incredible. Uh, you know, I wish I could just keep printing them off, but they broke within a couple of months. And, and you know, part of it was the shape of everything. And he hadn't got around to learning, you know, and topology to optimize that strut design and the shape of it and stuff like that. But it was a monolithic uh, device, uh, all 3D printed. And so um, we, we started doing more with the struts. And really the thing that, the other really big reason why I like doing um, a modular strutted design like the PDE, um, and I don't know if you're familiar with PDE, they have two categories, right? There's like the, the classic original heavy duty PDE. And then they released the PDETP, which was thermoplastic. So okay. it's um, a, a lighter weight, lower profile, less expensive uh, spring, but it's basically the same configuration. Um, 
just maybe a little bit more accessible and um there you know the way that uh, the guy at fabtech explained it to me was their original pde system they made that for axial loading so when they're doing like a true ptb style composite yeah. afo for a really heavy duty active person yeah. who needs unloading of the foot and ankle and all those forces are going into the proximal calf cuff getting distributed through the frame of the afo through the pde yeah. strut you need it to be a lot more stout of a spring so that's for a composite axial unloading device well those springs were like 250 dollars and um you know they're not heavy but they're bigger than they need to be for a so, thermoplastic device design for like a neuro patient right where we're not doing any sort of axial unloading we're just doing knee control a little bit more stability um so the pde tp system has been really nice because it has exchangeable springs so five different categories of stiffness they have these 3d shims 3d printed shims so after the device has been made, if I don't like the plantar flexion dorsiflexion angle, yeah. I can take the spring off, yeah. put one of those three degree wedges in there uh, ooh, and change it. And yeah. And I mean, you can just stack these as long as your screws are, you can just keep stacking shims on there. So if I'm totally off by eight degrees, I can stack four shims in there. It yeah. doesn't look pretty. Yeah. Uh, it's but... not ideal. Obviously, there's a limit at some point. Um, but you know, six degrees and, and that's, you can stack a two degree plantar flexion wedge and a two degree external or internal rotation wedge. So all of a sudden you, you know, this was one of the things cause I do prosthetics as well. And the adjustability that we have with prosthetics is we determine the alignment. We can set the position of the foot. We get a completely control the gate mechanics yeah. uh with the alignment and in terms of the screws and with orthotics like we just don't have that luxury yeah um, you use one of these the, the big hinges that are out there like the, yeah there's some, there's some big old hinges that are amazing like the function they do but they add such a, a huge amount to the to the, the device right. to, yeah. yeah well and exactly and you know i've been i've been fiddling around with some of those um newer kind of higher end ones. I haven't done a neuro swing one yet, um, but I have done like the Becker triple action joint and the Autobach next year tango joint. Yeah. And they're both really comparable and they're good, but they're heavy, they're metallic, they're loud because they're metal on metal spring actions and they are very adjustable. But a lot of times I've found that they're kind of overkill, you know, <clears throat> that's best for like, a, you know, a 350 pound CrossFit athlete who, yeah. you know, really needs that bulk and all that stuff for, you know, the 120 pound 60 year old female who's post stroke. Uh, it's just overkill. You know, there's those joint bodies are so big. Yeah. You're gonna have Even as a unilateral setup, it just seems to me that they're a little bit overkill. And a PDE still allows me a lot of adjustability. I have five yeah. categories of spring. I didn't realize that. I didn't realize how adjustable that was. That's cool to know. Yeah, they're awesome. And the shimming it, I mean, really, that's the thing that's clutches. You know, you know how um, 
how, for example, like you mentioned the vector from 2an, <clears throat> you know, that the getting the tibial alignment yeah, and that's, yeah, the heel that's, that's wedge. It. Yeah, got to get that spot on. You got to get it spot on. And if you're off by two degrees, you know, all of a yeah. sudden you're having to play the game of, okay, now I have to do a buildup on the shoe or a buildup yeah. on the brace. Yeah, and I, I will spend ages trying to align that, align the patient and yeah. get it right before I send the cast away. But uh, I've got two yeah. sitting in the house just now and thinking, please be the right ankle. Yeah, right. Please, please, please. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing is, if you do a buildup on the brace, that's fine. You fixed your alignment problem, but now you made donning a shoe that yeah. much harder, right? The thing that I love about the PDE is it's all out of the shoe yeah. and it's all posterior on the leg. Yeah, so, so it's less people can't see it. Exactly, yeah. And um, having those shims and those wedges and the adjustability um, is really nice. And I'm not doing axial unloading, so I can use those TP struts, which are cheaper and lower profile, lighter weight, all that stuff. I'm just shocked at how, uh, you know, so all of a sudden I'm doing more and more PDE systems and then realizing that this works really well with 3D printing because all I need is a foot shell and a calf cuff. Yeah. And those two little pieces can easily be 3D printed. Um, and then the MJF, that PA-12 material is so lightweight and durable and all the bending stress is going through the PDE. You just reinforce those anchor attachment places. And we haven't had, a, I haven't had a failure yet. Um, knock on wood, you know, we've only, I've only been doing it for a so year now with that setup. So if I take you back a couple of steps, like where, when you, what, what are you using to scan? Are you using structure sensor or you've got peel scanner or where, or have you got a couple and you kind of pick the most appropriate? Right. <clears throat> I have a, I have a, a, a bit of an odd workflow, um, mainly because this is the thing um, it doesn't um, have to be doesn't have to be set though does it you can cast <laughs> and then scan your cast yeah no, that's absolutely fine yep yeah you know i've i've found that these 3d printed pde systems work really well for some of the more complex patients for the complex you know um high level cmt or, or stroke uh any sort of neuro cases and i want to have more control over the anatomy um, so I usually do a weight bearing two or three stage hand cast with fiberglass so that I can control the alignment of each segment, get the weight bearing um, positioning. So I have my fiberglass cast. Well, usually when I do a two or three stage cast, I end up with a really thick cast and it's uneven in its thickness because I have stages that overlap with each other. And so at the ankle, it's going to be six mils thick, but at the foot, it's only two mils thick. So doing a, a, a cast, of, a scan of the cast uh, doesn't work as well. And so a lot of times what I'll do is I will fill it yeah. uh, with plaster. And I'm like, okay, if I'm at the point that I have a plaster model, I might as well do a little bit of work on the plaster model for things that are easier with plaster or just really fast. And then I pull out my PL2 scanner, um, which the PL2 is pretty crazy. It's a structured white light LED scanner. Um, you know, they claim it's 0.1 mil accuracy. And um, what's 
the reason I like the peel too is it has texture capture. So I can draw trim lines, um, any sort of measurements or marks or color on there will be captured uh, by the second camera. And so then I'll scan that and the peel software that comes with the peel scanner, the peel 3D. Um, the software is really quite powerful in terms of fixing scans, doing basic alignments, patching holes, things like that, exporting out, you know, 18 different file types. And then um, I'll export out, I'll export out like a, um, an OBJ file, pull that into Freeform, and then using the Geomagic's Freeform. The Freeform is the software that you then modify your, or you then attach the model of what you want to make it to, is that right? Um, I'll do some things by hand, you know, again, for these PDE systems, it's the, the placement of the strut is critical, um, in all planes, right? How the strut is positioned, medial lateral, internal external rotation, and then the sagittal plane alignment. Um, it's really critical to get them in the line of progression, yeah. um, have it at the right height so it's not interfering with the shoe. But again, what's cool is you're all controlling things. You're controlling all the factors of your whole prescription from what you think you're going to make to pretty much everything until you get someone else to print it and you order this person and then you go from there. Right. Because obviously, yeah. obviously that, that's the kind of and, concept concept that we're trying to go with with uh, with Invent with is basically giving everything back to the the clinician to say like you control it. I think that frightens some people. Like I know, because people are often used to taking yeah. a cast, posting the cast off, and writing, "Right, this is what I want," and then come, then they get what they think they've asked for back, and then there's all these thoughts and processes that go on that they not they don't know about, which I think is a really good way to be in terms of taking the ownership of the whole process, um, and and kind of really, right. you you obviously have such in depth knowledge of every every little stage. Uh, so you know exactly what you've built and what you're getting back, which is cool. Yeah, Sorry, and, you know, I've just become more, <laughs> I've become more and more of a control freak as I've, as I've become, you know, uh, just longer in the field. And, you know, if I do send something off to Central Fab, like if I send a vector off to Townsend, I'll, I'll usually send a whole nother sheet where I've kind of, free typed a paragraph about all the specifics of this modification and this yeah. modification and this angle and this alignment and try to use this type of strap with this rivet and I'm just like a control freak I'm like I know what I want I know this yeah. but then that makes it easier than this material that, that means no no one on the other end has to make that decision for you you're making that decision for them so right. if, they, if they come across it oh you've already written that down that's probably a good thing because then when you get it back it's, yeah. it's all yours it's all yours um, because I was kind of running out, we were running out a little bit of time, but I wanted to just ask you yeah. what you thought, why you thought the benefits of like having a digital workflow are over like the purely traditional methods. Yeah, I mean, it's um, the, there's a lot of benefits. And for me, that's the biggest benefit is that I can have my hand in every step of the process of design, trim lines, um all the different geometry things and when we yeah when we're using freeform we can put reinforcement here we can put a window 
um, we can change the trim lines. You can put the, you can have it be thicker where it needs to be thicker and thinner where it needs to be thinner. Really, it's the idea of optimization. And that's where I love what uh, Invent is doing with this beautiful optimization of things. You know, they're taking into account the activity level, the weight, yeah. um, the shoe type, and, and really leaving it up to the practitioner to say, I want these features. Yeah. And then the AI just kind of blends it all together in this beautiful package. But with, and then 3D printing takes it to another level yeah. where, yes, you get what you want, but you can have these things that weren't even on the menu previously. Like one yeah. of the things I love about those eight sole orthotics is the, um, the ribbing, you know, yeah. those little, yeah, the medium that they're just printed into the shell. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and just change And the they act as these like, like little independent shock absorbers. Yeah. And then oh, you can make them, you, and then you can change them by the activity level to make it stiffer or more flexible, depending on what you want to create. And I think yeah. I, I spend a lot of my time telling people like you can like although it says things, you can learn to play with that so that you can get what you want from it, so that you can like modify so many more things and create a much more unique product by just understanding and learning like how to how to adapt those things to, to, to make your prescription a bit more I don't know uh, flexible and stiff in different ways it's uh, I think trying to get people to feel comfortable that is it's uh, it's part of, part of the challenge for me I guess as developing right. business but yeah <laughs> Um, I, I mean that PA twelve material is pretty incredible, and then if you have, if you have really good design backing up a really good material, yeah. it's a win win scenario. Um, it's a lightweight, stiff material that can be printed very thin and still be dynamic, and that's where you know the eight sole has really mastered that line of being stiff enough to have support, but. Um, dynamic enough that it's not um a rigid block in somebody's shoe and it just looks like that the puro is going to be incredible in that regard too where it's all this optimization taking advantage of 3d printing optimizing yeah. wall thickness but still leaving it up to the practitioner to say these are the trim lines that i want this is the location um i'm super excited to just I think we're I think we're just scratching the surface, really. I, I, I agree 100%. I think like the the ability to what we can do is kind of limitless with uh, with all the new softwares that are coming out and and the designing like the bits that you're doing already. You know you can whatever you think you want to try, you can you can try it out. And, yeah, it's gonna the future is bright for for OMP in terms of moving forward uh, into technological future. I'll call it. Um, but my final question, I, I think, for you was, what lessons have you learned from kind of all the, the kind of 3D printing that you've done so far, uh, both good and bad? Like, we've, talk, we've probably talked about some of the good things about how it can be so thin and it can be so strong and with, with the PA12 and PA11 materials, but um, what, um, what other stuff have you, uh, have you found yourself? sure i mean i've heard a lot of people say it you know just because it's 3d printed doesn't mean it fits yeah. um all the, all the other bits in the process are the same aren't they you're still gonna be yeah. technically good and know what you want to make and and design it and make it yeah that makes sense 
I've still spent an hour adjusting a 3D printed device because I didn't account for certain characteristics or I didn't do a, a good enough job creating reliefs or flares or anything like that. So I've learned, um, you know, just like anything, we've mastered the ability to say uh, a polypropylene AFO that is five millimeters thick is going to need these trim lines to be stiff enough, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. then you put it on the patient and it's too stiff and stuff to, you stuff to cut it half of an inch of it off to get it to be at the yeah. right level of stiffness with um, a 3D printed device. But um, now it's a whole nother step because you have optimization tools at our disposal. And so did we over optimize it and get too thin of a wall? Did we, uh, I think everybody, everybody stays on the safe side of the fence. And so if anything, things come out too thick and too stiff. And so, you know, this, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is, you know, geometry and material shell thickness and loading conditions all play an effect on the final dynamic nature of an AFO. And it's hard to define that accurately yeah. on the front. There's, there's no uh, there's no easy way to say, right, this person needs that specific setup. It's it's, yeah. it's it's not it's not an exact I guess it's not exact science. You need to use experience and uh, similar way you would do in uh, uh, in traditional methods of making a polyprop airful detail. Yeah. I think all the I think all the tools are there, right? Like in the in the world, there are FEA tools, there are all these optimization softwares. Um, but even something as simple as just shifting a trim line to be a little bit more anterior or a little bit more posterior changes drastically the geometric stiffness um, of an AFO. And then you put that into a 3D printer, and now you have this material that you know we haven't we don't have as an industry a lot of experience with it's a lot of uh, experimenting but it's the same type of experimenting that we're used to i think that's one of the things that like at the end of the day you still have to have good design as far as orthotic design and then it's just a matter of uh knowing what to ask for in the design process and knowing what material is going to be used to know the final like the final product the final prescription the final goals that we're trying to accomplish how can we achieve those and it's um it's similar to what we're used to doing it's just using in slightly different tools now well thank you so much for giving us your insight because it's probably one of the most experienced uh, people around in terms of 3d printing and that's both kind of the whole process of prescribing, designing, and then fitting and sharing your stories on LinkedIn. So keep uh, keep doing that. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, sure thing, Doug. Hey, I appreciate the uh, the kind words and it's fun to chat. I can always, I can just, I can ramble. So sorry if I rambled a little bit there. <laughs> That's okay, don't worry about it. Thanks very much.